This podcast is brought to you by The Province. listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Here are your hosts, Paul Chapman and E. Spencer Kite. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Keyboard Kimura podcast here on Province Sports Radio. I am E. Spencer Kite. Joined today, it is Thursday afternoon for me here in fabulous Abbotsford. It is Thursday evening across the Atlantic where John Gooden is joining me from. John, thank you for coming back on the show. How are things? Things are really good, and thank you for inviting me. Always, always. As I said, when we did this the first time, I will definitely have you back. I thought we have probably the most prominent British fighter in UFC history competing for the middleweight title atop the UFC 199 pay-per-view card this weekend. So what better time to reach out? And, I mean, let's be honest, it was a good time having you on the first time. So why not run it back and do it again? Ah, kind of you to say, yeah, this is exciting. This is this is big. Again, every time I've thought and spoken about Michael Bisbing and, and, and kind of in a UFC capacity, I think those words come out of my mouth. I go, this feels big. This is really big. This is a big deal for UK mixed martial arts and, and obviously mixed martial arts in general. Yeah, it, it really is. And I mean, that's to me, a great starting point and, and very much part of the reason I wanted to bring you on because you have a larger sense of that than I do. Um, this does feel like a big moment. I mean, we've talked about Michael Bisping's career for a number of years and it has always been, you know, he's at the front of that list of, of guys to never win, Uf- never win a UFC title and up until this point, never compete for a UFC title and he's getting that opportunity as much as it feels, I, I honestly, and I wrote this earlier in the week, I kind of feel bad that it's happening this way. But at the same time, it feels like a very Bisping-esque situation <laughs> to just, yeah. it comes together and here he is and he gets this shot. What's the feeling and what's the vibe over there about Michael Bisping at this stage of his career and, and going into this fight? Is it a big deal? Does this Does this have that? people are rallying behind him feel to things? Yeah, I think it does. And I feel that mostly on social media. It's not, it's still not the kind of tangible uh, atmosphere on the street with mixed martial arts and specifically the UFC in the UK anyway, if that makes sense. So it's not a popular, popular sport. I'm not bumping into people and talking about, UFC related bits and pieces, unless it's Conor McGregor, if I'm right. absolutely honest. Um, however, the win over Anderson Silva has made a lot more people believe that it's written in the stars, <laughs> you know? And Michael Bisping certainly thinks so. Every time I've spoken to him, it's like, this is my destiny. I know that. And he, he says, I'm not a spiritual guy. It's the universe. He's not talking from any particular faith, but why <laughs> you're not going to not believe it <laughs> well and he he has an incredible way and and it's true he has this way of convincing you 
and rallying you to his cause. I've gotten a chance to talk to Mike a number of times and you sit there and, and he's very honest about his career. He's very forthcoming about some of the challenges and some of the losses that he's suffered. And, and a lot of people say, well, you know, he's always making excuses. Well, he did lose to a bunch of guys that have very <laughs> checkered pasts. So you can't really hold that again. Like he's making valid arguments and he just, it it's crazy hearing him in this two weeks talk about, as you said, it's my destiny. This is what is going to happen because as much as you remember their fight from from Sydney in, in November 2015, there's a part of it, or 2014, sorry, there's a part of it where you hear him talk about it and go, this, this may happen. He did just beat Anderson Silva. We can't discredit him going into this. Yeah. And when you, when you look at Anderson Silva and Luke Rockhold side by side, I mean, it's... It's a very interesting comparison. Like, who's the more dynamic fighter always round? And I'd probably say Anderson Silva brings an X factor over Luke Rockhold. But Luke Rockhold has the youth. He has the the more solid chin. I think he's more powerful. Um, So I'm not certainly saying that Anderson Silva is a better fighter than the current champion. That's not what I'm getting at. It's just in terms of all of the different threats that Anderson Silva poses. I think that he brings a a real variety of different stuff and therefore very, very difficult to prepare for. And he's been cut right through the middle of that and formulated a strategy which helped him win under the unified rules of mixed right. martial arts. And and here he is in this position. And it's it's a beautiful thing. And I think the the British fans like this. Um, Michael Bisping is so typical of, uh, how, how do I best describe this? He's, he's so typical of the majority of kind of working class, middle class folk who would get together with their friends. I've used this to try and describe the Conor McGregor factor. So when I go out with my friends, particularly a certain crowd of them, if I don't go, if I don't have a good night's sleep before, and if I'm not on form and have a, a my wits about me, I will get verbally destroyed. <laughs> and these are my closest friends. Right. You know, they will pick on every single aspect of my life, what I'm wearing, how I'm saying stuff. If I pause, you know, if I pause before making a response to something, the guy, the guy's got you. You know, it, right. it's like <laughs> verbal sparring, and it's it's constant. So. Conor McGregor was, has grown up with this. He's not doing anything different to what he's done for many, many years, but he's still having that fun that he would have had down the pub or wherever he might have been where you're having what we call banter, yep. uh, you're having a laugh. And, and Bisping has that as well. He has that as well, and, and that is endearing to a lot of folk out there in the UK. They, they get that. They know he's a, you know, he's... He's a bit of a lad. He's a geezer in many ways. Um, and boy, can he fight. You can't dispute that, you know. The guy is very, very, very good. He's the elite and he's the best that he's the best longest standing uh, export that we've had. You know, if Dan had not had the health issues that he's suffered, right. um, then, you know, we might have seen him 
go on and develop. But actually, I think this time away, slightly coming off track, has allowed him to formulate his mind in a different way. And now I'm excited to see, you know, God willing, that he can come back and what he can do next. But Michael was the first and he's been there and he's an analyst as well. He's a TV personality. He's an ultimate fighter coach. A um, couple of times over, there. yeah. He, and how many people get to do that? So he really is a, a legend and, a, and it's got to be a future Hall of Famer, um, regardless of whether he gets the belt, just for what he's done for our nation and, and the sport, shedding lots of different lights and eyes over this side of the, uh, this side of the water. Well, and I think on, on this side of things, the perception of him and the opinion of him has changed over these last couple of years. He's said it in no, numerous conference call settings and interviews. Like he, the fact that he openly admits to having been a bit of an asshole early in yeah. his career is endearing is another one of those things where you're like, yeah, okay. I, I can, I can relate to this guy because me now at 37, I look back at 27-year-old Spencer Kite and go, oh my God, that guy was the worst. And Michael does that. And I think the fact that, you know, it, it has become, to me, it's become amusing a little bit that he still goes out and says, I'm going to knock Luke Rockhold out in the first round and do X, Y, Z to him. Because Michael Bisping hasn't knocked anybody out in a long, long time. But he's gone in there and, and win or lose he goes out there and fights with the heart and determination of a guy that just refuses to give up and refuses to accept this position that we want to put him into of just not quite good enough. And it, as, as we've sort of said in this, it makes you rally behind him. That's not to say he's going to go out and beat Luke Rockhold on Saturday night at UFC 199 at the Forum in, in Inglewood, California. But it sure as hell makes me want to tune in and see it, maybe even more so than some of these other opportunities that would have been there, either for Bisping or the fight with Chris, Rock, Chris Weidman that was originally supposed to headline this card, because you don't necessarily have that emotional connection to this guy who has been, as we've said, around for so long, done so many great things and always been just a little bit short to finally get his moment and and really believe that it is destined and written in the stars that this is going yeah. to happen. It's, it's a wonderful narrative and yes. it allows people like you and I to dine out <laughs> on the storyline. And that is therefore really, really good for the fans because they see a very defined kind of storyline that, right. God, yeah, this is really interesting. You know, the fact that, He's now getting this title shot close to home, his actual residence. Right. Where he, he's a Brit. Um, but he still carries the the nation behind him uh, against a guy that he's fought before. Then they had a little bit of a ding-dong uh, even before that with a whole sparring session. Uh, Luke Rockhold has been around a lot of Michael Bisping's fights. He went out to Manila. Uh, obviously, they fought in Sydney. He was in London. Right. So it's these guys have been crossing one another an awful lot. Plus, you know, I, I, I had, did an interview with, with Michael and, and with Dan, alongside Dan, uh, for Inside the Octagon. We had him on the big screen. And when Dan and I were going through the fight footage and even during the analysis we did for Inside the Octagon, we, we stopped and paused on Michael Bisbing's face as 
the as it was announced that you know officially announced that Luke Rockhold had just beaten him, and at that point you can, you kind of look in his eyes and you're like, you you know that was it. Don't, you do realize that was my one shot to put myself in contention. I've let it go. Right. I I've climbed the tree. I was so close, but yeah, that's that's me. That's me <laughs> out of contention. Not not obviously retiring, but. I think at that point he thought that he wasn't going to get it. Then all of a sudden, you you got to keep your head down, it, and it's just a testament to that. You just don't know what's going to happen in life. You don't know, you know, where the where the road is going to come to an end. You're going to take a left turn, and all of a sudden it was a shortcut. Um, it's you got to keep going, and that's <laughs> what he's done. And it, he's made some smart decisions, taken some big fights. And and here he is. It's a wonderful story. It really is. Whatever happens, it really is a, a great story. Well, and I think his inclusion in the main event or his addition to the main event sort of raises that part up about Uriah Faber as well in the co-main event as a guy that, you know, hasn't has hasn't had any success in championship bouts, even dating back to his last couple opportunities in the WEC, but has just been that guy that perennially is right there in the top three in the top five getting the wins that he needs to get putting in the time picking up the victories till it gets to a point where you know after his fight in december against frankie signs he says you know there, there's a fight coming up in a couple of weeks that whoever wins that i got some history with them and you think oh my god uriah faber is going to get the next title shot yeah. and here he is when we've counted him out myriad times we've said this is the last one any number of times he addressed it this week when people asked him about it at media day on wednesday and he was like listen you guys you guys have been saying that forever so whether i win or lose i'm gonna go back i'm gonna fight i'm gonna keep fighting i'm by no means retiring after this so the chances of me getting back here what do you think is more likely like that this is the last one and they finally say no or that i go out and continue picking up victories to get to this point. And to me, one of the most compelling things about this, and I wrote this for my column tomorrow in the province, is that these guys are amongst the best fighters in the history of the UFC. They don't get the recognition that they deserve. And win or lose, I think this is a moment for us to appreciate what the two of them have done because not a lot of guys have done what these two guys have done despite not winning titles. They've, to me, done more than some UFC champions have, and that needs to be recognized. That's, that's a, a very nice line, actually, the fact that, yes, they have done more for the UFC, for the sport, than some champions that have come and gone um, or are you know, trying to still make their way. They have spent the greater, the lion's share of their career the UFC, like fighting the very best, the very best of the best, rather than someone that's, you know, spent 10, 12 fights on a regional circuit and has, you know, put six or seven fights together and, you know, they're, they're at the top. These guys, it's very lopsided for their experience inside the UFC. And, um, oh, it's, it's, it's outstanding stuff. And they're great characters, very bright, you know, I don't I don't know an awful lot about Uriah Faber outside of um the UFC and him as an athlete but I understand he has multiple business interests. Uh we saw him obviously as a coach. He, he's day-to-day as a coach but we saw him 
uh, in the Ultimate Fighter as well. He's a, he's a smart chap. He's yeah. very likable. He has a great personality. And um, and I hope I don't offend anyone by saying this, but you there's a very American look and feel <laughs> to him if you're if you're a European. Just like you would be looking at Michael Bisbing saying he's a very right. British <laughs> English guy. So you're right. To have these two on that card with who have tried so hard to to get gold, I think that was it four times Uriah Faber's been in this position. Um so and it's and it's evaded him or he's not quite gotten there, Michael Bisbing the first. And then you've got both champions. Are they both like 31 or something? So there's there's so many little similarities that Dan picked up the fact that there's that um, single mounted, single arm mounted guillotine right. uh, that, within those two, that those four. It's, it's incredible. It's, it's really bizarre. Uh, I, I love shit like that. I really do. Yeah, so do, so do I. And I think one of the things that I know the way we react to fights and the way that we sort of the steps we take once they're done. And I have a feeling that both of these are going to play out the way that most people expect. I personally think both champions retain. And I think we're going to then sort of just try to throw dirt on Michael Bisping and Uriah Faber and be like, well, they had their chance. Let's move on to something else. But these are two guys that are, are just, they're not going to go away. This isn't going to be the end of them. As you said with Bisping, he is an analyst. He is very much a prominent figure in the larger UFC scale. And Uriah Faber is a guy that has been around forever and will continue to be around because of Team Alpha Male and his role and his involvement there. So I just hope that win or lose, we give these guys their moments and their recognition because the fact that Michael Bisping, you know, this fight comes three weeks before his 10 year anniversary in the UFC (laughs) and he's third all time in terms of fights tied with Matt Hughes for second in terms of victories. If he happens to win, he equals George St. Pierre. Like those are things that when you say them, some people are automatically going to say, yeah, but he never, yeah, but he did a lot more than a bunch of other guys. And I would bet you if you asked any number of their contemporaries, they would kill to trade careers with either one of these guys. And yeah. that, to me, speaks more than, you know, counting. As I said in my column, we spend a lot of time counting rings and talking about the number of championships people have when we're trying to to delineate the best in any given sport. But there are bench players in the NBA or NHL that have far more rings than superstars and that doesn't make them better. So just because these guys haven't had UFC gold wrapped around their waist, it doesn't take them out of the conversation for me amongst some of the best to ever step into the octagon. Yeah, and we can get emotional about these two. And that's what's that might be clouding judgment on who we think might be victorious um, for some, but we can get truly emotional about them because we've seen their journeys. Right. Uh, we're, we're attached to them. And we were talking before you press record about building the, the human side, the personalities, these fighters coming up. Um, and this is why, you know, this is why we've had so much access to the lives because they've, you know, both Uriah and Michael have given us that access. They've been very good at uh, portraying themselves and putting themselves in that spotlight and that's why they are as polarizing as they are as popular as they are it's just fantastic by the way the uh, the embedded videos 
<laughs> the two stars for me, Michael Bisping's youngest son, who never thinks he's going to win a fight. Correct. That is hilarious. And, and Master Tom as well. I mean, that guy just, he's just the craziest guy in mixed martial arts. <laughs> just, the, he cracks me up. The f- I, can he speak English? I haven't heard him speak English before, and, and yet he lives with, with Uriah Faber. It's just, uh, it's just so wacky. <laughs> it's so cool. I, 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 I love this sport. The footage of Michael Bisping repeatedly asking his youngest <laughs> son, I believe his name is Lucas, who do you think is going to win? And he stops and goes, mm, him. <laughs> And I, mean, I remember him saying it, uh, the same about Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva's <laughs> going to beat you, Dad. Basically, that's what he was saying. I was just, I couldn't believe it. It's yeah. so fun. Yeah, it's, it really is. And I mean, as you said, we spoke about it off air before we started. The human side of things makes this all the more better. It's why you're able to drop Michael Bisping into a main event three weeks beforehand. And to me, have more interest in it. That's not a knock on Chris Weidman or the scope and magnitude of that fight which i think would have been a very good fight but it just it speaks to what michael has been able to create and craft for himself over a very good 10-year career yeah yeah and Bisping not only did he fight in london against sanders and silver and get the win it was his birthday right just all these little things that we were talking about so he's (laughs) you're saying that he's now fighting just just ahead of his uh, or just before his anniversary right just these little things here, they, I, I like them. I like that they're great little things that you can drop into stories. Um, and, you know, God bless him if, he, if he's victorious, then, then again, it's, we, we will be saying on his 10-year anniversary, he got the gold. It's, right. It's magnificent stuff. It, it would be, a, it would be an incredible journey. It. Yeah. <laughs> he's got to get past a very, very talented fighter oh my gosh, in yeah. Luke Rockhold. And, and Uriah has to get past a very talented fighter in Dominic Cruz. We will circle back to those fights a little later on in the show. It's the Keyboard Kimura podcast on Province Sports Radio. E. Spencer Kite with UFC commentator John Gooden. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Another Brit fighting on this card, Tom Breeze. He is stationed here in Canada and has been for several years at TriStar in Montreal, but to me feels like a guy that could potentially inherit the torch, so to speak, from Michael Bisping as the face of British fighters and and British MMA in the UFC. He's a guy that I know you're familiar with. I've gotten to know him a little bit over these last couple of years. How much of a prospect what kind of future do you see for tom breeze and is he somebody that almost the british mma scene needs now that michael bisping is hitting that twilight of his career i i'm a big fan of tom breeze straight off the bat i would i would class him a a friend as well in so much as you know in terms of the sport right i've, I've sat down with him when he was suffering from a serious knee injury at a Cage Warriors event in Wales, I believe, he was there supporting his teammates. And he was a 19-year-old, maybe even younger, kid, essentially, who um, was under the very good guidance of Mark Goddard, UFC referee. And everyone was talking about how, how much potential Tom Breeze had. And he took himself out of school, pretty much, to pursue a career as a fighter. We aren't, we haven't yet seen the, uh, the personality of Tom Breeze. And maybe that's because we just, he hasn't had the pro, the profile fights yet. We're st- he's still in the early stages. 
and he's all of a sudden because maybe he's we're we're thin on the ground for massive prospects coming out of the UK, certainly England right now, he's being elevated and shot and pushed right to the front of the queue. And he's only had a few fights and it's like, he's our guy. He's going to be right. a champion. And, and I'm not saying that he can't or he won't, but I would like to see that process develop a little bit more and allow, and allow that to flourish because Tom Breeze is a, a super nice guy, very respectful he very much embraces martial arts. He's a real student of the game. Um, and I think that's where he has his focus. So in terms of that whole showmanship, you're not going to get that <laughs> like you did with Michael Bisbee. Right. Uh, they are very rare. You know, we've seen, we were waiting, Conor McGregor is, a, is an example that we're all going to come back to. But how many others? Michael Bisbee and Conor McGregor, I've been in the same room as Michael Bisbee and Conor McGregor. It's chaos, right? <laughs> you know, it's it's just like alpha mailing one another, um, <laughs> and there are very few like that. But in terms of potential, uh, what can be achieved inside the octagon? Well, he's at one of the very best gyms. I've I actually was at TriStar a little while ago. Watched him at work. He has a very good foothold in the team. There, he's well respected. A lot of people want to see him do well. Um, he's struck good relationships. He's keeping his head down. He's not interested in anything else right. a, apart from really giving it a good go to become the very best fighter that he can. And I, w- I read an interview on the back of his performance in London where he kind of said, okay, yeah, I think the occasion got to me a little bit, which I thought was quite nice to hear because Tom Breeze to me has just been not cocky, but a super confident young guy who had a handle on everything. But it, right. it shows that he's recognized there are other areas that he can improve on, which means he will be even better. So I'm very excited to see what he's coming out with. And he's gone from fighting a real veteran to now he's fighting another up and comer, um, well-rounded. So should be a really good fight. Yeah, takes on Sean Strickland in the Fight Pass feature prelim on Saturday at UFC 199. I talked to him a couple weeks back and sort of brought up the subject of you guys are getting a little more promotion for this. You will have some time in the spotlight because it is Fight Pass. How do you balance that? How do you sort of deal with those things? And to what you were saying about him being a student of the sport and being almost singularly focused on this, he said, you know, the attention will come and the balance will come so long as I go out and put on good performances. That's what I'm worried about. First, most, last, everything else is secondary. But it is, as you said, very good to hear that he sort of looked at that fight in London and admitted, I put a lot of stock into wanting to go out and have that first round finish like I got in my previous two fights. Have that moment where I can deliver for the English fans and everybody that is saying Tom Breeze is the next big thing. And I wasn't able to get it, but I do think it was a very professional win. I think it was a a learning, a developmental win and the kind of fight that a guy that's in his position where he is, as you said, not cocky, but very confident in what he can do kind of has to get scaled back a little bit before they take that next step forward. Not necessarily have to lose, but 
learn a little bit about, okay, I'm not just going to go in there and roll through everybody. I need to have these developmental moments to help get me better going forward. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just another note on the showmanship side of things. He is under the tutelage of Faraz Harvey, <laughs> George St. Pierre. Have a look at how he models himself. And there's this, when I was there, there was almost like this, uh, what do you call it? Like this unspoken code that you don't trash talk your opponent. Right. I, I just heard it a few too many times when I was interviewing fighters. You'd get another professional in the gym just go, hey, no trash talking. Uh, you know, as they kind of point, smile, wink. And it's like, no, seriously, no trash talking. And, it, and it's so you're not going to get those kind of elements. And I'm not saying that that was ever in Tom Breeze's character. Um, but you're not, you haven't got a Dan Hardy, Michael Bisbing type guy right. there. And, and even if you did, I think that would be a little suppressed by, by TriStar and the way <laughs> they go about their business. And again, I, I mean that very respectfully. I, I think it's, we need all of these elements in this sport. You do need the, the guy in the gi uh, who's, you know, just it's all about the sport and, right. and nothing else really matters. So, yeah, it was just a point that I wanted to make about, him developing that fan base. And I think he's going to do it largely on his performances inside the octagon. Yeah. And I do, I do think it's coming. I know going into that fight in London, he was a guy that a lot of us in the media were talking about as the guy to watch on this card outside of the big names that we already know. I like the fact that they're getting the fight pass prelim treatment for this fight. I think Sean Strickland is a, is a tough opponent. He is a very game opponent. Um, could very well hand Tom Breeze his first loss. Not 100% sure on on how this fight plays out, but I do like that the UFC has made a point of sort of recognizing, okay, this is a guy that we need to invest in, sort of as we were talking about earlier and off air, recognizing these young talents coming up much the way that they did last week with Aljamain Sterling in his fight with Brian Caraway on Fight Pass and Cody Garbrandt and Thomas Almeida getting the main event above, you know, a former champion in Henan Barrow and a tenured vet in Jeremy Stevens, because they are that next generation that we are going to look to that maybe don't have a ceiling placed on them yet and, and can go further than some of these more more seasoned guys that are sharing the card with them. Yeah. And there's a, another little spice to this as well, because um, Alex Garcia is obviously a teammate of Tom Breeze. And Sean Strickland has never looked as good as he did against him. So they're going to want to, they would have looked at him before. They would have seen how he has evolved as a fighter. Um, and, you know, that just gives them some added motivation to go in there and, and deliver on a strategy that obviously didn't work uh, with the model of Alex Garcia trying to execute. Yeah, getting a, getting a second look at a guy for a team like that one assembled at TriStar is, is always dangerous if you're the guy, yeah. that's, guy yes. that's getting in there with one of them for a it, second time because now they've seen it in practice. They've seen it yes. live. They've back seen it back, against one nice. of their guys, and it's back-to-back, so you haven't had that much time to really go out and change anything. So yeah, for for the betters and the fight predictors out there if that plays any factor for you by all means <laughs> consider it it is sean strickland's second appearance consecutively against a representative of the tristar gym in montreal <laughs> yeah yeah it's a, it's a nice fight i do I, I like that fight and um i met sean 
when he was over in Germany, I believe, uh, a little while back. So, yeah, good good to see these these young guys coming up and you know checking themselves against one another. And you know, Tom Breeze training with some very good guys. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see what he brings. His boxing was outstanding, but I also know that he's been working with some of uh, John Danaher's collection of <laughs> specialists. Um, I've forgotten the guy's name. I think uh, Gordon Ryan. Gordon Ryan, his name. yeah. And uh, obviously Gary Tonin. And I know that they send representatives over to TriStar to just, you know, uh, go, roll with guys like Tom Breeze, help him get ready. So he is getting some very interesting coaching with some of the very best minds. And, and because of the sponge that Tom Breeze is, I'm expecting to see improvements every time he makes that walk. Yeah, because I am Canadian, people often think that I'm I'm biased towards Canadian gyms or have a favoritism for TriStar because of some of the relationships I have there. It may very well be true, but it is also the <laughs> case that it is like going to MMA University. It is approached that way, complete with dorms and everything that have been upgraded and are and are much better than they were originally. But just the level of you know people that come through those doors that they bring in to train that they bring in specifically to work with certain guys the level of coaching the number of fighters that decide to make that trip whether it's full-time or individual fight camps is just it's staggering and it's i think the kind of thing that is going to continue to elevate this sport is having places like tristar like att like the jackson wink academy that are just these factories of knowledge and experience and understanding and learning that is going to continue creating amazing fighters like those those gyms have produced thus far i don't mean to put you in a in an awkward position (laughs) so you might want to either you know edit this bit out but do you think that they have enough depth in the coaches to cater for the amount of demands that they're having in terms of the fighters going over there i have to say just as a, a little precursor to that I think that Tom Breeze is, is a bit of a special case down there. They see something in him. I know he has a very good relationship with Eric O'Keefe, so he's going to be taken care of. But do you think that is, that is to say for, for everyone? Is there a risk that just going to TriStar just might be a bit oversubscribed? I think there is a challenge, and I think whether it's TriStar or any of those other gyms, there, there's always the struggle of the number of people in the room versus the number of coaches. I think one of the things that definitely helps in a lot of those cases is having the level of training partners, the level of experience among some of the veterans that are at the tail end of their careers that take on a little bit of a coaching role. Um, And even having a guy like Faraz's brother, Eamon Zahabi, who is a very very talented up-and-coming fighter in his own regard, has also been a coach and sort of led a lot of jujitsu classes and and taken on that role with various different fighters, Joe Duffy, Zach Makovsky, uh, Yves Jabouin during his career. So I think that's one of the things that that sort of mitigates against some of that 30 to 1 fighter-coach ratio that you may get, and that number is just throwing a number out there. Sure, sure. But it is definitely a concern because, and it's something that, you know, we saw for a number of years 
the growth of these super gyms, as people were calling them. Then a few guys stepped away and said, I need to go and do more one-on-one. Brian Stan, a guy that I remember sort of backing away from Jackson's a little bit and, and insulating himself at home in Alpharetta, Georgia, with the Asensau brothers and, and Juan Carnero, and, and saying he needed that more focused attention. But yeah. I do think with a TriStar, with an ATT, you have enough sort of secondary coaches and, and positional coaches, if you will, plus seasoned veteran talent that can can lead these classes and, and give some of that instruction that makes it a little bit a little bit easier to deal with. But I'm sure there are definitely places where guys turn up thinking this is going to be what takes me to the next level and they just don't get it. I mean, I spoke with Ron, Randa Marcos this morning. Um she went out to TriStar for her last camp, is back now in Windsor, training with the guys at Michigan Top Team, Darren Crookshanks and that crew, making some trips down to Strong Style in Cleveland, and just yeah. said, I don't think I had enough time with Faraz, and I didn't know that I was necessarily going to get that Yeah, to the point that I was comfortable and that we had an understanding of what I needed to do on fight night, and I think it cost me. So now I'm with people that know me, people that I'm already comfortable with, that I already have that rapport with. So I do think there is is finding that balance. And I do, yeah. as you said, I think Tom Breeze is a guy that O'Keefe, who I who I speak to sort of on the internet fairly regularly, and and that crew has definitely recognized as there's something special here. So he's definitely gonna be the beneficiary of of a lot of attention while he's there. Yeah, and, and I'm not sure if it's by design or, or whether it's happened. That probably is by design, knowing Faraz and, and the guys down there. Um, but actually, they, they do have a good spread of UFC fighters that are there who are at varying different stages of their career. So still, guys like some of the some of the European guys that are over there that are early in their careers, as well as having a spread of these others all the way up to Rory McDonald and obviously uh, GSP in the gym as well. So, and, and people can still grow respectively of their, in terms of where they're at in their career. So, so yeah, going back to who I saw on the mat, I think that probably works in their favor as well. Yeah. And it's, it's really is one of the things, and I've spoken with both Eamon and Faraz Zahabi about it a number of times. It's one of the things that they actively put in place of you have guys that are, right now out just doing grappling tournaments, just doing jujitsu or wrestling or whatever discipline they're in. And then you graduate to fighting amateur and then you graduate to making your pro debut and then you work your way up the regional ranks. And it's just, it's a step progression where you're learning from the guys in front of you on your way up throughout so that when you do reach this point of being in the UFC or being at World Series of Fighting or Bellator or wherever you have this wealth of knowledge and these these mentors and and fighters and coaches that you have worked with for a number of years that have gotten you to that point and and know you almost inside and out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. It's amazing. It's the Keyboard Kimura podcast, Province Sports Radio, John Gooden UFC commentator joining me. We will circle back and wrap up not necessarily predictions um because truthfully we don't know how these things are going to play out. <laughs> I wrote that earlier in something today of, of just like, listen, these guys make us prove us wrong all the time, make us look like idiots. I think it was about Dustin Poirier. You know, he, he decided to make that move 
from featherweight where he was a fixture in the top 10 up to lightweight, which is arguably the deepest, most talented division in the UFC. And we all kind of went, I don't know if that's a good thing. And he hasn't looked better. Uh, He fights this weekend against Bobby Green. But these two championship fights, we've spoken about the challengers. I don't want to get off this, this podcast without giving the champions their due. I will start with Dominic Cruz, who I think is one of the smartest minds in the game, but also to do what he has done in coming back after five years with two fights, with with more ACL repairs than he's had fights, is just astonishing. Oh, he's <laughs> he's quite he's an unbelievable human, and and I I think from reading between the lines, everything is now a bonus for him. Because he surely, you know, obviously had to stay positive, but he just never knew. And when something keeps happening, it's almost habitual. Right. uh, You can't help but fall into a mindset where you just don't think it's going to happen. So, um, and and again, you, you mentioned how smart he is. I don't believe for one minute he was a guy that was not doing the prehabilitation and rehabilitation very very diligently indeed i think that he was ticking every box that every physiotherapist and consultant had given to him right. and it still wasn't working out so so i believe that he is that character I, I i don't know him well at all only from what i've read and watched but um but yes another another example of someone that you can take such inspiration from and you can, if you're a, a mixed martial artist, you can look adoringly at his style with absolute envy, knowing full well you are not going to be right. able to emulate that. Even when you get yourself into peak physical shape, you'll be lucky to put, you know, six steps of his pattern together. And, he's, and that only takes about two seconds, by the way. Um, it's crazy. He's just a, an enigma. And a very, very difficult riddle for Uriah Faber to try and solve. I remember speaking to him a couple fights back, or it may have even been while he was sort of during the long hiatus. His So his first ACL repair, he, he shredded his knee. We remember that from season 15 of The Ultimate Fighter, way back when he was supposed to originally have this trilogy fight with Uriah Faber that serves as the co-main event on Saturday went through the repair, was on his way to recovery, and was at about, I think it was the six-month point, where the his body rejected the cadaver ligament, and he had to go and start again. And he has identified that as the low point of things for him because he was he was close, and he could see that light at the end of the tunnel. So to go through that, come back, then do the other leg, then have a torn groin where it was horrifically just ripped off the bone, which is awful to think about oh, dear. and go out in January and have the kind of performance where he's fought once in five years and he goes out and fights TJ Dillashaw, who has looked great in his stead and reclaim that title. I spoke to him last week and said, how did that feel? And he's like, honestly, it's still kind of a letdown because I'm still in the trenches and, and I haven't had a chance to sit back and think about it. And that to me is one of those, I would have been over the moon and I probably could have just retired right then and there. 
But for yeah. his mindset to be that, it speaks to the level of a competitor that he is and, and how excited I am and how excited it makes me as a fan more than anything to have him back, whether it's this fight with Faber or whatever the future holds, because that's the mindset of a guy that, that I want to continue seeing perform. And you throw in the crazy style that, that no one can, can replicate as much as people have tried. It's, it's great to have Dominic Cruz back in a division that is bubbling up. Yeah. And he is a, a pioneer in his own right in terms of what, what he's done, the, the system that he's created and, and the positive effects that he has had directly on those people at Alliance and, and a lot of us third parties to the sport looking at him. I think also that it, it just underlines what an infectious sport we have, that you, you can have that memory of pain. And I, I, would, I would also reference Cub Swanson in right. this paragraph as well, where the injuries and the nature of the injuries they suffer in some quite horrendous ways, but yet the thirst they still have to train and compete, it, it, they forget about that pain very quickly and they still want to do it. You know, I've, I, I'm not, I feel bad even trying <laughs> to mention this right now because it shouldn't be in the same breath, but I blew my back out. Uh, training but as soon as I knew that I was nearly fit enough I wanted to be back in that gym you know I couldn't (laughs) visit the gym whilst I was injured because I couldn't participate it used to tear me apart I don't know what it is about this damn sport but it just makes people make really stupid decisions but in some cases thankfully they pay off and boy is that that kind of you know, thick-headedness that us <laughs> men and women sometimes display when it comes down to competitive stuff, that he is now a champion and a, and a much celebrated one. And again, we when he's done, we have all of this fabulous analysis to look forward to as well. Right. He is, he is the gift that keeps on giving. He is the gift that keeps on giving. The main event, the champion in the main event, middleweight champ Luke Rockhold, hasn't had to deal with any of these injuries that Dominic Cruz has, hasn't had any layoff. All he has done since his UFC debut, which he lost to Vitor Belfort in Brazil, is go out and wreck shop. Five consecutive (laughs) stoppage victories, including a one-armed guillotine of Michael Bisping that we referenced earlier. He's a guy to me I've had the chance to to speak to Luke dating back to his strike force career and all the way up through this run. A guy for me that as much as the talent is there, as much as the athleticism and all the things that you see physically are there in the cage, this is a guy for me that it is about confidence and I hate using the word, but swagger. A guy that just <laughs> 100% believes he is on a different level than everybody and yeah. looks forward to going out and proving it every time he steps into the cage. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a happily married man to my beautiful wife, but <laughs> he is a handsome fellow as well. He is a good He's looking. A- I try not to be near him <laughs> when we have to do these scrums. I try to spend as little time as possible and definitely not get caught in photographs with him <laughs> because it just definitely underscores how good looking he is and how good looking I am not. <laughs> he, uh, he is very much a poster boy for the sport, yes. but um, you know, he's a really nice guy. I met him out in, in Germany. Again, we spoke, I spoke about meeting Sean Strickland there. He was, he was there as well on um, 
guest fighter duties. And one thing that I find amazing is when I next see someone, perhaps in the US, someone like Luke Rothley comes up, recognises me from the brief chat that we've had, blows me away. Um, so immediately I was double the fan. But um, yeah, he is a very special kind of athlete. And, and again, Dan and I were, were talking on Inside the Octagon. He exudes something. Um, I, I actually don't laugh too hard. I actually said je ne sais quoi. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the comments on, in the YouTube channel was, I don't think anyone's ever said je ne sais quoi in terms of the UFC. Um, welcome to my silly world. Um, up, but, in, up until last week, no one had said creme de la creme in reference to UFC fights. And then Nathan Diaz went and used it. So <laughs> these things happen. happen. Ah, you, it's us plant eaters, you see. We come out with all this crazy stuff. Um, but he, he does have this thing. Conor McGregor is very obvious with it. Um, and I, again, I, you know, using him as an example because it's just the most exaggerated form. But Luke Rockhold just with his calmness and the way that he is, he does just have something which is intimidating. And he, he has on the feet. I don't think he has like an A to Z of options. I think he's, he's got an ABC, which is so damn good. He doesn't need anything more, but when it comes to the ground, my mind can't keep up with what he does. I mean, we talk about Jacare, Damian Meyer, um, just some of the fluidity of what Luke Rockhold puts together in the octagon. And we saw it, you know, in his days before as well. Holy, holy goddamn! <laughs> this guy is just, he is really on a, on a very, very elite level when it comes to stringing that stuff together. So he poses multiple threats. Um, and I, and I always enjoy watching him fight. I, I'd like to see, and I'd like to see a, fully, you know, 90% fit Luke Rockhold. I actually saw that he was struggling with his leg um, before the, the Chris Weidman fight. I was present during uh, some, some interviews that he was doing and he was visibly massaging his leg and he was struggling. It was causing him a few problems just outside of that local pain. So, so I had an inkling that there was something wrong. He certainly didn't say it. But for me, then, it's just even more incredible what he's achieved. I'd like to see what this guy is like when he is close to as fit as he possibly can be, because I think that's super scary. Well, and, and two things from that. One, a world champion in Brazilian jiu-jitsu as a blue belt back in 2007, sort of at the outset of his MMA career, a fact right. people sort of forget or overlook or don't necessarily know. And in speaking with him last week, you mentioned the the leg thing and and being on antibiotics for a staph infection in that fight with Chris Weidman, that was one of the things he brought up is like, listen, part of, part of this for me is that I do have that belief. I do put in the work that I'm able to go out and have that performance when I'm nowhere near my best. And on the conference call last week, he said, Michael, I'm going to humiliate you. And he said it with the, it wasn't the like, There are times, and and I'm sure you've noticed this with people when you're doing interviews, they tell you something and it just sounds like they're trying to convince themselves as much as they're trying to convince you. There was no part of this that was Luke Rockhold trying to gas himself up and trying to get himself to that point of, yes, Luke, you can do this. You're good enough. It was, here's your warning, Michael. We're going to get in that cage on Saturday in Inglewood, California. And I am going to do everything in my power at a hundred percent health 
or as close to it as I will be on that night to make a spectacle of you. <laughs> and it's going to be really entertaining to see which of these two things between these two guys that have spent a lot of time together clearly kind of irritate each other because there's some similarities to them and they both want the same thing. It should make for a very special night of fights. Yeah, he, he's actually very... He's very economical in what he says, isn't he? Yes. You know, this, this verbal sparring. Quite similar to his striking style. Yes. He's not like a big volume guy. He's not <laughs> throwing a massive amount of insults. But when he says something, he does say it with a kind of conviction. He hits it with two or three that really sting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that he is a he's a very exciting champion in that sense. Because, you know, if he if he defends against Michael Bisbing, he's the favourite against Chris Whiteman again. Um who who's next? Jacare? Well, we see how that that's a there's some there's some interesting fights for him, but there's a potential for for Luke Rockhold if he gets past Michael Bisbing to be the champion for a very long time. And and just another note, we talk about Michael Bisbing's heart. Just referencing the fact that he stepped up to take his title shot in the conditions that he did that we now know about shows a lot of heart as well. Don't discount that. There are a lot of fighters these days who are managed a certain way, who would say, look, you'll definitely get another opportunity within six months, right. maybe hang back. Right. So, um, yeah, this, this is a guy who has a very big heart as well. It should be amazing. It is a, a, a really, truly loaded fight card from start to finish on Saturday, UFC 199. My guest has been John Gooden, the UFC commentator. John, I, I appreciate you doing this. I appreciate taking part of your evening to talk fights again, let people know where they can check you out. Let people know how they can get in touch, plug all the things you need to plug before I let you go. <laughs> uh, mostly it's John Gooden UK, Twitter, Instagram, and why not go and check out my, uh, the bloody vegan YouTube channel. I'm preparing for an Ironman, uh, this summer triathlon. Uh, you'll see that the Diaz brothers like themselves a triathlon. You know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get a little bit of that as well. So, I'm doing a bit of a journey of my own sort of competitive stuff. So I'm posting about that. Plus, you'll see some behind the stage, behind the curtain things from my travels doing the UFC as well. So that's uh, I'm very grateful for letting me plug that, sir. There is a new demo reel up as well. You can go check that out of all of John's fabulous work. I appreciate you coming on. Everybody listening, thank you for tuning in. You know, as always, I am at Spencer Kite on Twitter and Instagram. As I talked about with Tyron Woodley, I don't do that Snapchat thing. It just seems too dangerous. <laughs> Enjoy the fights this weekend. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week. You've been listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Read the Keyboard Kimura blog on theprovince.com. Follow them on Twitter at Keyboard Kimura or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash keyboardkimura. Kimura.